Uh, let's see, kids, you are welcome to go with Pastor Debbie. Um, Oh, it's just my, I have my, uh, my water bottle. There's an insect joke. I was trying. Sorry. The gospel reading for this morning is taken from John chapter 10. It's verses 22 through 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. The Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the gospel of our Lord. Um, well, hallelujah, Christ is risen, and... And happy Mother's Day to y'all. As I was thinking about this passage for this morning, I guess it struck me the happy coincidence of Mother's Day falling also on this Sunday. And, and it kind of brought me to think a little. I have a lot of friends. I actually didn't really grow up much around uh, babies, young children at all. But now that I have a lot of friends who are fathers and also uh, mothers of young children, I think I've learned uh, maybe a few things uh, about children. One of the things that I think has impressed me, I do think there are a lot of things that are difficult about being an infant or a child. Uh, but maybe one of the gifts that you have is that you're, you're almost fearless, right? It, babies kind of have this sense of being able to embrace what's strange, what's unknown. They just sort of go right into it. I'm convinced that if I could set up the perfect environment for an infant, you know, I could call it like Babylandia or something, get some branding, advertising, have all the, the things that like infants normally have, like a, a mobile, you know, just all over the place, Things that like glitter and shine and reflect, refract light. Uh, I feel like those things, if I could have like Cheerios strewn about the whole place, uh, baby Mozart playing in the background. I, I mean, that sort of environment. And then right next to it, you know, this place that I created, it was just a construction junkyard dump because why wouldn't you have those right next to each other? Peanut butter and jelly. And in there was, you know, I mean, you'd have rusty nails and splintered wood, asbestos sprinkled liberally throughout. Those like oil drums that have like toxic waste, you know, it kind of all in that, I'm convinced somehow all the babies would end up in the construction junkyard dump, right? I mean, it would just, it's sort of a natural progression. And I don't even think that in that is necessarily like a, a rebellious or a transgressive thing. I just think there's something about children that it would be the construction junkyard dump that's the unknown, it's the strange, it's the unfamiliar. And there's just something about babies that for them, that actually is this opportunity to get to know more deeply the world around them, right? There's no reason that the strange, the unfamiliar shouldn't open up to these greater avenues of the majesty, the beauty, the wonder of the creation that they find themselves to be a part of and the God who made it. There's something about this season, I think, this Easter season, 
that opens up precisely to that. It's a contrast, of course, to the season that we just had, the season where we were walking through Lent together through a period of preparation for Easter. We talk about this now as a season of joy and of peace and of God's grace. But there's something that for me also plunges me into this awareness of the way that I've been a stranger or estranged to God. Because the life that I know that's so familiar to me is often so different than the one that we see with the resurrected Christ the power of our God. There is this invitation into communion with God in Christ. But there's also a way in which me being known and knowing God leads me likewise from this world that I knew into the one that he is making. Pastor Jeff last week was able to enumerate all the ways in which Christ's resurrection does bring us into the unknown, the uncertain, and seemingly unfriendly as a way for bringing about this converting wisdom, this converting faith that will then make us inhabitants and members of the new age that Christ brings. I think that our passages this morning kind of carry on that same sort of theme in the Gospel of John in our Acts passage and in Revelation to a God who so often humbly clothes himself in familiarity to us, only then to call us beyond ourselves into the strange, miraculous life of the divine love. In the Gospel of John, this chapter 10, it's kind of famously the good shepherd chapter. Jesus reveals himself to be the good shepherd. It's incredibly important, the context here, for those who would have been listening to Jesus at this point. They know that the God who revealed himself to Moses, the one who is who he says he is, the only immortal God who creates and sustains all things that are seen and unseen, who cannot be represented by any graven images, is one who exists far beyond us. They would have known, those who were listening to Jesus, especially where he's at, of course, he's in the temple, that this God's life is so far transcendent that there's only this one apex, this one moment where heaven and earth come and draw close and they almost touch each other, right? In the temple, itself in the Holy of Holies, and there's only certain times, certain persons, certain moments when exactly that felt presence of God can take place. And again, there's something really reassuring and really comforting about that, because the world as we know it isn't the exact expression of the way that God designed or intended it to be. We know that God's goodness and his justice exceeds and transcends what we see in our world around us. But one of the other consequences of that kind of holiness, of God's distance from us, is to feel like so much of our lives, apart from being in that holy of holies, is irrelevant or unrelated to what's going on with God. Scriptures do attempt analogies and metaphors to maybe help us grasp a little bit better this God who exists in unapproachable light. Can anybody think of any that might suggest that the Lord is something like a shepherd? Perhaps one that says, the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> Very famously, all of Jesus' disciples would have, or the, the crowds there, think of Psalm 23 there, or um, also show up oftentimes Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23, which both talk about the wicked shepherds that have scattered the flock, and now that God himself will be the shepherd of the sheep. But nobody there, as they hear these analogies and these metaphors, thinks that really there's a real shepherd somewhere 
that God exists as, that I need to find. And yet here in John chapter 10, Jesus reveals that the good shepherd does indeed have a human face and a human body. God himself can now be seen, can now be heard, can now be touched. And there's just something so profound about how the love of God, the grace of God that empties itself of divine glory, draws near to us and in that nearness is able to make himself known precisely as he loves us without reservation or condition, as he condescends to ways that we can know him. But there's also something really um, unsettling a little about that is Jesus now makes himself, this strange God who dwells in unapproachable light, able to be seen, able to be known, able to be heard. That barrier that existed before between God and I, where most of my life existed all over here, is separate from God, has been ripped apart. God's real presence permeates my every moment, my every thought, my every decision, my every action. So for those of you that in this moment right now are thinking, oh Lord, when will Cody finish? Or maybe have your mind set on that fight that went on earlier this week or maybe just before this or thinking it's Mother's Day, there's going to be this thing that we're doing just after the service. There's a way in which Christ's presence here and saying he's the good shepherd, the very word made flesh, that God actually wants to inhabit all of those thoughts, that you don't actually have to hide or keep this part of your life away from God, that in fact what Christ desires from us is to say, you know, Lord, in this moment I'm distracted, or in this moment with all my limitations, or in this moment I'm actually just focused on this pain that's in my hip. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift this up to you, God, and allow this. This can also be a disclosure of your glory and of your goodness. If in my weakness I'll, I'll, I'll allow your strength and your life to shine through it, that God's holiness and love can saturate absolutely every moment and area of our life. But then there's also this interesting thing as you think about Christ, who's now the good shepherd, who's made the, the, the God who exists in unapproachable light, the strange God familiar to us. This corresponding, uh, what do I call it? You have this corresponding mirror moment when you look at the Acts passage and the, the God that Paul proclaims in Christ. Because now Christ, who has made the Father known to us in a way that we can understand and comprehend, is made strange once again in the cross, and in his resurrection. Jesus came to reveal who God is, but then at the same time, he himself, as God, was not recognized. He was not known. And so, he was killed. And while the incarnation is this beautiful act of God drawing near to us to make himself known, we realize, or at least I realize, that it wasn't just my ignorance that prevented me from knowing and being known by God, that I had actually desired exactly that sort of estrangement and strangeness. Because a God who exceeds my comprehension, who is ceaselessly pouring himself out into creation without reservation and without condition, this kind of God calls me to that life. And it's so easy to replace that sort of God with an idol of my own ego and my own will, which I much easier for me to understand. The truth that Jesus reveals to us here is, is that if I want to draw near to the God who draws near to me, I have to become estranged from the ways of the world around me. You cannot be comfortable both with the world and with God because so often the world sets itself at enmity with God. 
So Paul here is declaring a God who not only makes himself known in Jesus, but also who makes the world that I thought I knew strange. Can't help but hear it over and over again by those who come to Jesus, right? Lord, who is the greatest among us? Lord, have my brother divide up my inheritance with me. Or, Lord, do you know who this woman actually is? Or, Lord, this man is worthy of what you're going to do for him. Or, Lord, this shall never happen to you. It shows up time and time again in Jesus' ministry are all these worldly aspirations of security, of prestige, of respect, of legacy. But as Paul here declares, it's Jesus' crucifixion that shows the idol that all of those things can become. That rather than ever being able to deliver on the promise of me thinking that I can reach and attain this life that I desire, they only lead to self-destruction. The paradox that we see here in Paul's proclamation of Jesus is that God comes in this familiar human form to us, only then to lead us into the strange and this wondrous divine life that he himself is. Christ comes into the world to invite us to repent of the world that I thought I knew, so that I might embrace the strange, the unknown, the uncertain, the incredible one that he is bringing. And I think for me, sometimes one of the strangest or the hardest things about following Jesus into the suffering and death that he calls us is precisely its strangeness. I do love to when I can get out and do it. Um, <laughs> as I get older, I feel more and more unpleasant sensations as I run. Um, but, but the thing that's nice about running for me is, is that even if I feel, feel those unpleasant sensations, Oftentimes I know exactly when, how, with what intensity, I'll feel them for what duration and when they'll stop. But if I were to say stumble and sprain my ankle while I was running or break a wrist, there's something about that experience that's a little different. I don't have quite the familiarity, the knowledge, the understanding of how and with what intensity and how long, what it will feel like. That adds to it, that it literally becomes something I just endure through, which is what makes it suffering. In like fashion, if one of you were to go on vacation, I would be bodily separated and away from you. But there's also something about vacation that I know that there's this time period and then you'll return and then I'll be able to see you again. What, what's so difficult about death, or at least part of the difficulty, is, is that there's this great unknown to it. How long will I be separated from this person? And what is it like when we're finally raised again in that period of reunion? There's something strange about suffering and death and always remains strange to us in this life. But as Paul here shows with Jesus, the irony is, is that the world that I'm familiar with, that I know and that I'm comfortable with, isn't the one that we're all made for. The path that leads ultimately to the New Jerusalem, to the kingdom, is the one where Christ leads us in the strangeness of the cross and the empty tomb. There's something really beautiful about that Revelation passage that I think is able to so well unite these corresponding aspects of what's both familiar to us and what's strange. Because as you open on that passage that Al read, you have all kinds of people there, palm branches, things that are familiar to us, white robes, there's a throne, there's a lamb. We can kind of imagine and see all these things. We hear the songs of praise and worship, which kind of makes us believe that this is a worship context. We've done this, what, hundreds, thousands of times here, maybe not here, but, but in the course of our lives. 
But then there's something about that worship, worship passage that's then suddenly made strange. Because it's not just in the presence of people, but also angels, elders, and living creatures. And I feel like all of a sudden I am an outsider. I'm a visitor to this space. And it's in the midst of this innumerably diverse crowd, right? Not just even across spatially or geographically, but even across all of time. And I realize that I am the foreigner, I am the refugee, I am the stranger in this group. Moreover, the multitude is known to have come through what? The great ordeal, the great tribulation, the great distress. The thing that unites this crowd, at least as we first hear it, is enduring suffering the same suffering and death that makes strangers of us all on this age. I think one of the things that's so beautiful then about this passage, even as you could feel like, or I could feel like, as I'm in this innumerable crowd that's gone through this great ordeal and the strangeness of the, the living creatures and the angels, is that somehow it actually is all brought into this selfless communion as it adores the one who's seated on the throne and on the Lamb as I'm brought into this unknown depths of the mystery of who God is in this world that he's made, I found that I'm surrounded by this grace that exceeds my comprehension, that is able even to overcome death and sin. And if I'm willing to embrace that strangeness, in that moment I'm also at once found the home that I've been looking for all along. There's just two things I think that stand out to me in these passages this morning that I feel like are kind of uh, that continuing word for how then this crashes in on our lives here in this moment in Cordova, Rancho Cordova, Rosemont. The first is, is that I find these passages inviting, in, in, inviting us to be able to know Christ as, me, as he has made himself known. Certainly, we talk about God does, of course, exist in all places and all times and all creation. The cattle on a thousand hills are God's. All creation does sing at some level the praise and the grace of our God. But somehow in this moment, we make the audacious, the outrageous, the scandalous claim that God has come in the flesh. And there's something about that that reveals to us who God is and is actually transforming and making us more into the likeness of God, even in the midst of sin and death. Part of that outrageous claim is, is that then what we do here in this moment as we worship, what you guys see in the bulletin, what you guys get in the emails, what you'll hear at the end of the service and the announcements, that these are real opportunities for you to come and encounter the body of Christ. God is not just doing this, I know my temptation with, I don't know, the <laughs> bombardment of all the things that go on around me is to just think that all the events that happen are this menu of options based on my preferences. But the claim that Jesus makes here, the claim that Paul makes, the, play, the claim that John makes, is that wherever his body is truly gathered, so Christ himself is present. So he is seeking to make himself known, so he is seeking to transform us. And to be willing then to come to, to taste to hear, to see him is a gift that we have. I think the second thing that stands out to me here in these passages is being willing as we draw near to Christ in all these familiar and these humble ways in this sanctuary 
is to let him draw us into the strange and the unfamiliar. To be able to come to know that coming age and the one who will reign over it. There's something right that everything that we proclaim about Christ is indeed here in us as this congregation. Radical forgiveness, life-changing power, unfailing hope, unceasing compassion. And maybe to the world outside, it could be something that they would scoff at or not be able to see initially. But it's the faith that Jesus gives us precisely to stand in that promise of God's presence reworking us. I think one of the things that I've found lately, or I guess I've been reflecting on a lot, is while God could do a, a, a million sort of flashier spectacle things, uh, I don't know, make us all levitate in this room as a sign of his presence, maybe one of the most powerful miracles he accomplishes in my life is, is remaking me, is making me, to be able to this creature of dust and dirt love in the same way that he does. And part of the gift of all this mundaneness sometimes, these elements that we recognize or the people that we see on a daily basis, is, is that I encounter as I'm willing to make myself available in this congregation and in its mission and in its ministry. All my own limitations. right? All the ways that I seek out my own comfort, my own convenience, or my own selfishness. And as I'm able to come face to face with that in this, I discover that God is working ever more deeply. God's maybe allowing me to all the things that I thought were familiar about me make them strange. And in that, then be able to rework them and make them more and more like our Lord. Maybe the question I feel like these texts ask me or ask us as a congregation is precisely where we might be able to meet our Lord. Maybe in those places where we at least expect it like he comes in a manger on a cross. But to have that invitation in hope and humility to, to go beyond what we think we know into what we don't. And maybe to, like him, in those ways that we seek that are familiar, to give ourselves in our congregational life in ways that we had not expected or not anticipated. Beautiful thing about Always the ability to worship here is that in a moment we'll be invited to respond precisely to that calling. The elements at this table can seem so humble, so mundane, so familiar that you could miss that it was God himself who makes himself known just as the crowds and the multitudes could look at Jesus, the one incarnate word, and see just another teacher, just another mystic, somebody to move on from. We pray in these moments to be able to penetrate into these mysteries so that as we do this, and I've done it week after week, we come to understand and know and praise God and love Him more truly. Second thing, of course, is, is that these elements are at once also more strange than we can understand because they are the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord. And that if we are able to embrace that strangeness, they will bring us through His death and His resurrection so that we might, in the presence of the age to come, be able to await his fullness and pour out our lives exactly like he did in obedience to the Father who we know will raise us on the last day. Shall we pray together? Lord our God, we're grateful that you are indeed the Good Shepherd, the one who left not your sheep alone and wandering, 
but came and rescued them, came and drew them back to you. Who came to make yourself known only so that we, in gaining that knowledge of you, might also be drawn to you through the beauty and the wonder of the love that pours itself out for our sake relentlessly. Lord, we ask that as you seek to call us into that strange, that wondrous, that divine life that we have yet to comprehend or understand fully, we might in humility open ourselves up to you, allow us to encounter you where you promised to be in places like Cordova Church of the Nazarene, and draw us beyond ourselves into eternal life. We pray this all in your Son's name.